0: welcome to the 1000 hours outside podcast i am thrilled today to have katie bowman on the podcast uh, talking about movement and how much movement matters and uh, the other day i was sort of um, kind of looking Katie up. It's before I got information on her and I hopped on Amazon to look up this book and there was like another book and then another book. <laughs> and then another, <laughs> it's all these books. But Katie, yeah. this is such a huge accomplishment to write one book. And then it says you have nine books, but I thought I counted 10, but I must've counted wrong. Um, is this the newest one? That is the latest, yes. This is the latest. <laughs> so we're gonna be talking today about Grow Wild, the whole child, whole family, nature guide rich to moving more by Katie Bowman. It's a fantastic book um she's also written move your dna movement matters alignment <laughs> matters whole body barefoot there's so many here i know so I know congrats congrats on writing Thank all you. these books that's super Thank impactful you. have you been writing for a long time
1: um you know i started i thought i started with writing short articles a blog form um and i got really good at writing short form which is completely mm-hmm. different than long form so when i went to my first and i actually i think there's probably 10 books but one of them was re-released it was every woman's guide to foot pain relief okay and that, that is what it simple was simple steps so yeah. so we just count that as one because okay. it was min- minimal editing to make it
0: well i count it as two
1: <laughs> well th- I, and you know what maybe <laughs> i should count it as two also you have written
0: um, 10 books katie exactly That's I've written
1: 10 books um yeah. So then when I transitioned to writing books, it was challenging because writing short form is different than writing long form. And Mm -hmm. I think once I did the work to shift my brain into writing long form, I was like, well, I'll just pop these books off then like blog posts. And then I just was, I was just, you know, I was nursing two kids and I feel like I was just really pouring out Mm. of a lot of things at that time. So a a great number of them are written you know in that four uh, year period and then i've taken a break for a few years and then grow wild is the one that that just sort of bubbled up of late yeah
0: well, that's so awesome i'm excited to read the other ones they all looked really intriguing so um i wanted to read here on your bio uh, it says you're best selling author speaker and leader in the movement movement bio okay i know mm-hmm. i was even i was sent the word that was you're going to have to say it for me
1: bio so it's Methodist. bio me- Biomechanist, so not oh, biochemist, is, biomechanist,
0: yep. yeah. Yep. Uh, Katie Bowman is changing the way we move and think about our need for movement. Her nine, but really 10 books, <laughs> <laughs> including groundbreaking Move Your DNA and Movement Matters have been translated into more than a dozen languages worldwide. She's been on the Today Show, CBC Radio 1, Seattle Times, Good Housekeeping. I mean, this is all just so phenomenal that you are you are just really impacting people to move. And the Grow Wild book is is beautiful. It's Thank beautiful. You. This is Thank a beautiful you. book. It feels good. And it's just filled with all these gorgeous color photos of real yeah. people doing real movements. So I just love that 200 full color photos um, from all sorts of families who sent them in. Um, so I, I, I love it. I just want to say I love it. So for people who are listening, if you're looking for something new to read, something to inspire you to move, you definitely want to check out um, grow wild. So uh, I thought maybe we just talk about a couple of the topics that that were in there. And um, some of the things that really piqued my interest. Uh, One of the things was about stacking, um, Mm -hmm. stacking your life for movement. So in the book, you talked about and I think so many parents relate to this, that there are so many pieces to the puzzle, right? There's so many pieces to the puzzle when you have children. And and um, so can you explain kind of what stacking is and how does that help families um, kind of put all those pieces together?
1: Sure. So the idea of stacking um, comes from uh, the concept of permaculture. It's the idea that, that multiple needs are being met, multiple functions are being met at the same time. So um, the way I would say many parents try to... Uh, the way that many parents attempt to meet multiple needs at the same time is through multitasking. This idea that, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to maybe take a walk, but I'm going to take a couple work phone calls while I'm doing it. And, And it just gets very it gets to the point where, you know, you're trying to, maybe you're trying to grocery shop, but you're also, you've got your kids there. You're going to try to get food for dinner, but you're also taking a call and it just gets very chaotic. And Mm -hmm. the thing with multitasking that they've, that, that they've been able to figure out is you're, even though you're maybe seeing yourself accomplish multiple things at once, you're not really able to focus on multiple tasks at once. Your brain's really shifting back and forth between them. You're just really trying to get a lot done in one particular space. So you don't, you're not able to give many things your attention when you do the multitasking approach. Um, stacking is a little bit different. So stacking is, is also trying to meet multiple needs in one period of time. But, but instead of bringing multiple tasks to, let's say, an hour, you're looking for one single task that you can give your attention to, because that's how we work. We can focus mm-hmm. on one thing at once. That meets multiple needs. So it's a little bit different. It's, and it's, it's, such a, it's sort of a slight difference. Mm-hmm. So an example would be um, you could take a walk you know, we, we have, we have individual needs as grownups for movement. Our kids have their individual needs for movement. We have our needs to work on our relationships together. Um, we have other needs like getting food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like we have to be able to eat. We also have to be outside. You know, we have this nature requirement. We also have to know about the natural world. And so one of the, one of the tasks that I picked when my kids were really young was to go out on, I'll call them foraging walks. It was Mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, I need to get a walk. We need to get out of the house. I need to walk. Mm. You need to walk. Um, Let's go, let's go get some nature time, but I would make it really specific because kids really like to eat and they really love to go gather, especially little kids. You know, little kids are really keen to pick apples and pick berries and and there was like a tree a mile away, and so we would just walk to this tree, and and then along the way there were neighbors who were out, and so we were mm-hmm. sort of sort of getting this community dose at the same time, um, and you know we would have a backpack and we would just gather what we could along the way, and some of it was food. We had neighbors pass us things over the fence that they were Aww. growing you know, there, I mean, it would be picking a bouquet of flowers for decorating the home. um, And then we would also be getting this other, you know, wild food that we were foraging or just, um, you know, gleaning. And, and so what we were doing is usually spending like three hours to take this, you know, mile walk, but it met so many multiple needs. And there's just something about outside, as you know, that really has grand capacity to hold right. lots of energies and pressure. And so that would be one idea. Now, I know that it's, that's not practical for everyone all the time, but that's just the idea of the concept. As you look for that single task, yeah. go pick apples off an apple tree. And then what you see is many needs being met at the same right. time. So it's a very efficient way to get us out of that loop where every day we're sort of going, man, I didn't get some needs met. You know what I mean? Right. Like I fell short on multiple needs and then that causes quite a bit of stress. And, and so I'm just, I'm just trying to show a slightly different way and also just pointing out that we probably have more needs than we recognize. Right. You know, there's, we don't, we don't understand necessarily all the needs that we have.
0: I like, I like that you gave the example, I call it ag Right. <laughs> some people call it agro tourism, but I like ag retainment. I would say that that is that our favorite thing to do is hike. And, and really, I would say it's my favorite thing to do. I think Thanks. my kids really like to do the things if there's friends and um, mm-hmm. but they're only drawn to it in certain capacities, I would say that my right underneath there is this ag Because for me as a mom, I'm like, Okay, well, we can go to the blueberry farm. And there are, it seems to be a fair amount of you pick type places and places mm-hmm. that are, you know, kind of pretty accessible and it's cheap. You know, you're talking $1.25 for a pound of blueberries or something like that. And so, you know, as a mom, I'm hitting like the snack, you know, the snack requirement and they're just really engaged there. So, and, and really, you know, talk about di- facilitating different types of movements. It's like each of these different things, you know, you're having to reach up to pick the apple, you're having to climb the yeah. tree, you know, and the trees are all, you know, apple trees are perfect for climbing. I think they're made for children, you know, yeah. but then the blueberries are squatting or the wet raspberries, the strawberries are squatting down. So it's neat that even in nature, the different types of things that you forage would facilitate different types of movements, right. you know, while sort of hitting all these needs. I think in the book, it talked about soup night, which I, I was drawn to that. I thought that That's was a really favorite yeah. idea. And just like you said, facilitating um, relationships. I was talking, um, to this author yesterday, Dr. Chris winter, he came out with this book called the rested child. And he was talking about how, you know, all these things are what re- releases serotonin, you know, the, the relationship piece and the being together and the community and the, the warm food and the, you know, the outside. So I, I love this idea of stacking and, um, as a way to sort of, uh, meet needs right? That's sort of what you're saying there is just to meet the needs. And I love that. So um, you have a really, a lot of information in there about that. I think that's great for parents. Uh, I like how you opened the book with talk about trees and how trees experience movement. And that's something I never thought about before. Can you, can you talk about that and, um, and sort of how movement affects trees and how that relates to us?
1: Well, so I'm a biomechanist. So bio, biomechanics is the study of how physical forces affect living systems. Um, that can be humans, but it's really any living system, plants, trees included. So when I write books, um, when you read all 40 books that I've written or will have written someday, you'll just yeah, notice yeah. That, that my style of writing, my style of teaching through writing is to use non-human examples, because I think when we can detach the humanness from, from the lesson, there's less ego involved and we can hear it a little bit, um, interesting better. And so with grow wild, I choose, I chose to use the plant analogy through it's an, it's, it's an analogy, but it's also, it's also that we work. We have the same set of laws, living things follow the same set of, um, laws, um, in the universe. So, so I start with children are like trees. And then I go on to talk about the, sh- the shape that trees have. And so I'm not sure what, we have a lot of cedar trees here in the Pacific Northwest. Everyone's got their own sort of trees but and trees have genetics that make them identifiable as the type of tree that they are. So you can recognize oak trees and cedar trees and alder trees and redwood trees because you recognize the colors of their bark or the shape of their bark, um, the, the way that they branch. Mm-hmm that's held in their genes. But trees also have a shape, like you're not going to see carbon copies of trees. So, so trees um, branch, the, the geometry that they branch, how many branches and and then um, I guess I should say how many limbs and then branches and then twigs that you have off each piece is, is the shape that they create in response to what they're experiencing. And one of those, I mean, so we also, you know, we know that trees are competing for light and they're, they're competing for other um, inputs from the soil. And, and so they're, you know, they're growing in response to where it's shaded or where it's not, you know, they're all, they're taking all that in, but a big element, trees are very tall and big and they have to be able to withstand the physical environment. And so they branch and, That goes for above ground and in their roots, below ground, based on what's happening to them physically. So winds come through. If you have a a wind in a particular direction, you're going to see branching that reinforces their ability to have good leverage in that regular wind. And I I did another podcast interview and um, the woman interviewing me had said, yes, when they were in a hurricane, because there was a strange direction of wind, it took all the trees out because the trees had not grown to resist that direction of wind they had grown in into um, you know like we're not set up to withstand every single thing we're built to withstand the environment that we're exposed to regularly if you have snow you know like you have snow loads and and that branches it breaks different branches off but then what is left is able to sort of like it's selecting, it's selecting for the mm. shape that's going to do really well in that particular environment. So that's that's a process called figmomorphogenesis. It's this idea that I plants, you know, it's a fancy word. I love it. Um, I like, I, I mean, it's a fancy word, but to me, it's a real clear word because it's just made up of really simple, um, you know, fig is touch, morph is grow, genesis, well, genesis is also grow, morph is, I guess, to change shape. So it just, it's like a shorthand, of a, of a big word, but trees that are grown in greenhouses, which a lot of trees are, and it's like, great, we need to sell trees. We're going to make tons of trees and we're going to grow them in these greenhouses because we can control the environment. But what they're finding um, is that trees that grow uh, plants really that grow inside of greenhouses don't transplant well to the outside. They can't do well because they do not have the shape for anything else but being in the greenhouse and then it's sort of like okay well then great leave them in the greenhouse but that shape isn't actually good for just living either it turns out that they like they really need plants and humans alike need outside which i think obviously your listeners and followers Mm -hmm. are going to understand that but the piece i'm like the pointing out is the load that you're experiencing outside has a lot to do with it. That part of nature is not just, you know, the natural sunlight and the microbiome. Um, It's, it's really the pushes and pulls on your body when you're out there and we need them. Our anatomy needs them. Our physiology needs them and it needs them early on because you're setting your adult body in childhood. And this is the first generation that has just been a mostly indoor plant. Right. And so really right. e- like like, right. e- even though, even though we've become we were unprecedentedly sedentary and inside, never more so has it been with this generation coming up, and never more so has it been in the last year and a half for everyone. So we're like in this really strange pocket of time where where our physical bodies won't see things until later on. So in the book, mm-hmm. you know, talked about. Bone, bone and trees are really easy to sort of superimpose on each other. Yeah. So osteoporosis, for example, is really a pediatric disease that manifests
0: wow. in
1: later years. We wow. don't think about that because you don't, you're not concerned with it, but what you're doing, what it's revealing is what in most cases, you know, it's, it's revealing what your childhood was like in terms of load and also dietary nutrition like minerals but even if you have an abundant amount of minerals without the movement those minerals can't be inputted in so it's both of those things so just to be like childhood is important for these reasons it's not it's not something where we can sort of like well we'll make it up later on the other end right that doesn't. That's not how the nature right. of it works.
0: And you know, you see it within the movements. It's like, well, children. My kids from very young ages, they would climb up on the fallen log, and they're going to jump off, and they're going to jump off, and then as they get older, they're going to go on something higher, and they're going to jump off, and they're going to jump off. And with each of those impacts, you know, they're uh, strengthening their bone structures. Well, you don't really see adults doing those movements, right? It's it's a movement that kids do, and they're intrinsically drawn to do and increasingly um, you know higher challenging levels so I, li- I like what you're saying there it's like this is the window to capitalize and I really do think that using those natural examples it makes you excited instead of defensive right you're like yeah. oh you know it, I could be like a tree and exposing myself and making my roots stronger and growing better for my environment it, I really like that approach you know um, a really interesting example right off the bat so it really drew me in to the book and then the everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot and for me that means making sure i'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything i want to do but i'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat that's why good chop is such a lifesaver for our family good chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside 120 and use code outside 120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside 120 at goodchop.com slash outside 120 for $120 off goodchapcom slash outside 120 code outside 120. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com 1000. That's drinkag1.com 1000. Check it out. The format of the book, I love it. You know, you're talking about sort of movement in in different capacities and, and sort of a little bit different of challenge challenges to movement. Like you start out with culture, you know, like mm-hmm. what's culture talk about for movement? What does your home culture look like? You know, and then you go into these different things. I like the chapter about celebrations.
1: My favorite. You know,
0: <laughs> I think that was my favorite too. And like, you know, just anything can be a celebration and, and how can you add movement to those celebrations? Um, but one of the things uh, that I loved was um, some of the pictures in the home. So we talked about the home environment. Um, having low tables. I saw pictures of like it looked like maybe a, a grandma and a, and a little boy hanging on these bars in the home. So can you talk about what are some things you know? Because we're really big about getting outside, obviously. Um, but then a lot of families ask, especially in the colder months, and you know we're going to be heading into the fall here. What are some ways that you can facilitate movement for children and adults right within the home setting?
1: So, I mean, so I organize a book by containers. It's like this, like, Mm -hmm. what are we spending our time in? We're in our culture. We're in our clothes. We're in an activity. We're in home. We're in our homes. And also, you know, like what is nature exactly? Movement is an element of nature. And so just like a lot of times we'll bring natural materials, pine cones, rocks, Into a classroom, so at least you can have your hands on nature when you are in otherwise indoor spaces. Movement is another one of those elements that you can bring into your home, and and should. Oh, I
0: love that.
1: It's just the same thing. I love that. It's a kind of
0: that. I mean, that is one of the things that we suggest for people when they say, "Well, what about this?" Or you know, I'm in this certain situation, and. So we talk about bringing nature in and bringing in those natural elements, but I love that, that piece of it by saying, well, the ways that you move is also a part of nature. And yeah. so you can facilitate that indoors as well.
1: And the way that you move in nature. So what are some of the ways, if we were to list, like, what are my kids getting when they're outside? Okay. They are getting to jump off things mm-hmm. again and again, and again, they're getting to hang from things. They're getting to climb things. They're practicing their balance. So so they're getting to sit on the rug or, you know, they're getting to sit on the ground versus getting, they hair. squat.
0: I think they do a lot they're of get, squatting. They're getting
1: squat. Right. So, so those are elements of nature. So how do we bring them into the home? Why is the home discouraging them? It's like, okay, well, you're not, so just the, what are the rules of the home? You're not allowed mm-hmm. to jump. You're not allowed to hang. Okay. Because we don't have anything that you can hang on safely. Okay. Then fix that. Yeah. bring in something. So that's that. why you'll see. So we had, um, you know, brachiation, which is hanging from your arms. I, and I wrote
0: that word down. I like that word.
1: Yeah. So like a monkey brachiation is, it's very important movement for humans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of, you know, if you think of bone is easiest to understand, if you think of, you know, jumping again and again, and again is something that's going to build up the hips and the thigh bones, those bones that are later going to be at greater risk for, Um, you know, fracture because of low bone density, our shoulder formation is really quite the same. We don't, we don't, it's a, it's a little different instead of being a compression, it's a tension. But the shoulder is being formed by being able to hang from and swing through. So getting those on, like we come with the grasp reflex. We are coming, seeking out. Like that's, there's a reason why kids want to climb and scale, and why their hands are so strong compared to the rest of their body. Like we're built for this sort of movement, and it's the period of time that again you're shaping your shoulder girdle, your breathing, you know, your thoracic container, um, your joints and connective tissue. And so, you know, it was important for us that we had a place for them to be able to do that to the amount that their bodies really wanted, even though that amount isn't really required in today's society. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. I can, you know, we feel good if we can get our kids outside for an hour or two hours a day. But imagine, you know, a genetic code, a DNA that's really built to be outside hundred percent of the time. So, so I was like, okay, well, I I don't really know how to do that so much every single day in this particular society, but I know how to bring in a chin up bar or a hanging bar. And so we just did things like that. We got rid of all of our seated furniture. Um, now that's sort of the extreme, but you know, as a biomechanist, I actually started it when I was pregnant, I was like, you know, my back hurts, my hips hurt. I got to get out of these chairs. And I started sitting on the floor and found myself, just by doing that, um, putting in all those stretches or exercises, you know, that I needed to do for my pregnant body anyway. And so we just really, really didn't introduce our kids to things like that for quite a bit of time so that they could squat. You know, we have low tables where they're able to move around without having to be in a chair to sort of be at adult height. Um, yeah. So we thought about the physical environment as something that we could modify so that not just them, but all of us got the movement that we needed. So that's why, um, that's why our house is so, you know, I, my house has been featured in a lot of different media just for that, because I think it's yeah. bizarre. It's like they have monkey bars in their house. They don't have any chairs and and we have art and we have rugs and we have cushions and we have all sorts of other things. And I also just point out like, we're sort of an outlier with our furniture and this particular culture. Like we're, we, we are the penguins. Furniture is the penguin in this bird scenario. You can go mm-hmm. to many places in the world and the amount of furniture, the way we use furniture is just not the norm for humans. It's just it's interesting. It's outlying, you know, yeah. as far as behavior goes. Yeah.
0: We tried, um, We're in Michigan. So the winters get pretty cold. And so we Mm -hmm. tried, I mean, you can buy climbing furniture for kids and you know, our kids love that the pickler triangle and then the the ramp, you know, you got the ramp and they're jumping off and they're trying these different things. So, um, I, I love that. I love that chapter about, um, just about home. And then I think you also talked about like, um, in terms of home, you know, that kids want to be where the adults want to be. And that's a thing. You know, I, we had read one time that there was a study that came out that no matter how large your home is, you know, that primarily people stay within 400 square feet. So you know, have mm-hmm. this massive home, a small home, but you know, people, kids wanna be together. You know, you think you buy this big home, and oh, they're gonna play in the basement or they're gonna go play in this bonus room, but no, they just wanna be with you. So- They're in
1: the kitchen with you. Yeah, right.
0: So one of the <laughs> things you talked about was, what can you take outside? So like for, for me, for example, we've got a garden. I'm not a good gardener, it's new, but if I know that if I'm out in the garden whether the kids are engaging in the garden or not, they're gonna be outside with me, you know, yeah. and, and finding their own thing to do. So you had even talked about, can you take the laundry outside? Think about that, that fact that the kids kind of wanna be where you are and, you know, how can you make where you are this, this place of movement? Um, so really, really cool ideas. I, I also thought too, with the shoulders, we talk about writing posture, mm-hmm. you know, and so that when kids get to school age, they gotta be able to really use, we just think of our fingers, right? But they've gotta be able to use all of this um to have good writing posture. So the hanging, I would imagine, you know, really helps with all of that as well.
1: Yeah, uh, we tend to go, you know, we focus a lot on fine motor as you know, um OTs will often give screenings to maybe like there's like a five-year-old test, like a five or you know, kindergarten readiness test for kids and the scores are going down and, you know, it's really related to like, how well are they able to control their whole body? You know, can you put a balance beam in your house, you know, or a line of tape, you know, there's just ways of exposing kids to uh, some physical complexity so that they're not entering school age without without any sort of movement skill you know we've definitely focused on reading skill of late and you know like read books to kids you know get them into their life I would say the same thing goes for physical literacy Mm -hmm. where our physical literacy is declining and so that also needs to be I mean it's an it's yet another task for parents so I think that's why I focus so much on saying no these are the this is the need this is not just their need this is your need and when you're collectively reaching it together everyone feels better for reaching it that way like it doesn't need to be a point of stress this you know newly identified yet another thing we have to to do or work on it's really just going back a little bit to right how human like where we came from humanity wise. Um, And, you know, it's usually free, you know, to do like we like you don't even have to buy things to put into your house. You can often just move things out of the way and change the rules. Yes, please cartwheel in the living room. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be a big burden.
0: Well, that's how I feel. So with 1000 hours outside, that's sort of been our thing as well. I mean, I think a parent looks at, okay, 1000 hours outside in a year, that seems insurmountable. Where am I supposed to find the time for that? But it's sort of like what you're talking about, this is the baseline. And if this helps everything else, you know, if it helps everything else work better, and it helps their brains work better. And so then their academics is better. It's sort of like this foundation, you know, um, that makes everything else work in tandem. And, and so, yeah. Um, I think we're missing, we're missing that foundation piece. And so then everything else is harder.
1: Well, and if you see it, I mean, it, it seems like a lot. And I think it's a lot if you view it as I have to do a thousand hours outside, that's like packing for a thousand hours and figuring out a thousand tasks and cool things to do outside. But soup night, for example, mm-hmm. that's just dinner with friends in a park. You are going to have dinner anyway. Soup night makes it easier. You're taking turns making a pot of soup. Yeah. You just bring it like there's no cleanup. Everyone ended up being outside for three hours, and everyone ate without yes. complaining. Like once you get into it and really look at this, you're going to see it makes everything easier. You're going yeah. to do less work. It's not more. You're going to do. Right. You're going to do less. Right. Ch- changing the habit is the work. Right. Changing and, the task is the work. But other than right. that, it's going to be easier. Right.
0: And the more you're out of the home, the less messy the home is, and that type exactly. of thing. We did a we did a soup lunch. Uh, I've only done it once, but we um, in Michigan the colors change so beautifully in the fall, and so we did this fall colors hike and brought along a little camping stove because you can dip the leaves into wax and it preserves the color. And so, anyways, we had this you know whole cart like loaded down with stuff, but because we had the camping stove, we brought soup. You know and it, I mean, it's really mm-hmm. memorable we've got all these kids yeah. and families and we're dipping the wax and everybody's having warm soup and and like you said it's just hitting all sorts of needs it's helping their social skills and yeah. they're learning things about you know color and change and so um yeah that idea of stacking is just such a fabulous one okay so one of the other containers you talk about so you talk about the home container which i think is really an interesting chapter it's got so much for parents to think about uh one of them is the clothing container um I like how you say, if they're not play clothes, what are they? <laughs> so, so that's great. So you said our culture tends to be hand dominant, uh, which mm-hmm. was an interesting um, little phrase there to use. So talk about talk about clothing that facilitates movement.
1: Well, like, so we we always said we put on our clothes, but we're really getting into an outfit. Kids are getting inside yet another thing. Um, and we don't necessarily think that the thing that they're inside of could have any impact on how their body is moving. And so the book includes ways to start evaluating clothing for the movements it facilitates or prevents. So, you know, if we just did one example, like think about a pair of pants that you have, and then you would repeat this exercise for your kids. Um, Can you bend over and touch your toes in it? Like, does it is it so tight around the waistline that you can't bend? Um, if you have a jacket can, or a shirt, does it let your arms go overhead? Or or are you sort of limited when you're wearing something? Um, mm-hmm. Stretch. Stretch is a big thing. But then there's also sometimes clothes are too baggy. You know, like if you watch kids go up into trees, you know, and they've got something billowy or flowy, it can get in their face. It can get caught on twigs. And yeah. then they have to remove some of their safety holds in order to deal with clothing that is not really suited for that particular activity. Um, And then, you know, I've did a lot of work with our local nature school and our kids went to our local nature school and kids would um, show up in winter boots, you know, but winter boots are extremely stiff and they often pass over the ankle. So that means that they don't have the ability to dorsiflex and plantar flex. And I just kept hearing again and again, it's like, my kids are just so clumsy, like they don't really have good balance and here they are trying to cross logs, maybe for the first time, but they're wearing shoes in which they can't really perceive the sensory information coming up from what they are on and they can't make micro adjustments. You know, a hand, hand dominant means, you know, like look at my, think about a piano player or writing, all these little emotions that are we can control in our hands. Well, we have that same capacity for our feet, but our feet tend to go boom into gloves and into something stiff and then remain that way forever. And so we lose that ability to, I mean, it affects eventually our gait, our knees, our hips, our balance, our pelvis, our spine, like all your, a big hunk of, of, um, motor control is thwarted. So of course we have to wear shoes in many environments, we don't always have to wear them, but they're required sort of for life in most cases. So to look at like, how do I pick, how do I start to evaluate footwear so that it allows for more toe and more ankle movement? Like there are shoes that do that. And there are pants that um, flex better at the knees and the hips. And so we're just used to, I think using style Yes. And also with gear, there's things like weather. You know, like we are, especially if you're going to nature school or outside, you're looking at how well does this gear protect me from the weather? But if it really hinders movement, like I'm thinking winter gear right now. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the best ways to create heat is by moving around a lot. So if you trade off movement for your winter gear, especially for little kids it's going to make being outside a miserable experience. So you know, you have to fit you have to become Yeah, human. that's
0: interesting. I mean, yeah, I, but- we've had so many experiences where um, so my midwife taught me about wool, right, and we use merino wool. Um, you know, because it's soft, it's not scratchy. And then I've learned over the years, all these nerdy things about wool, but basically that it generates heat, you know, somehow the the chemical components of, of what wool is comprised of and mixing with your sweat, it creates heat as much as I think I read somewhere that two pounds of wool can generate as much heat as an electric blanket. I mean, and then it, it holds the heat because the wool hails, the <laughs> wool hairs are curled and it, it creates all these pockets and then and then it also pulls the moisture from you and, and moisture is what makes you feel cold, right? right? So when you're wet, you're cold. So kids that are wearing cotton, they're cold, you know, if that's the thing that's against their skin, they're cold. But what was interesting to me when we switched to wool was that my kids, even in Pretty cold temperatures would be taking off their layers because they're yeah. hot. So yeah. I like what you say there about how you know when we talk. People say, "Well, what about winter?" Well, probably one of the most important things is that you're moving and that you're not wet. You know that right. those that that's what you're trying to sort of facilitate there, and then that's going to help kids be more comfortable. Um, but like you said, if you've got the big snowsuit, you know you've got these big hunky boots, they're too, you know, or they can't yeah. move at all. Yeah, and so then they're cold and they're miserable. And um, so uh, you had a practical tip in there I'd never seen before about wool socks with water shoes. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, protein-plus, and keto Factormeals.com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by Better Help. Question What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com/slash one thousand hours to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P pcom one thousand hours. You know, so yeah. just to say for parents, like there was really good ideas in here about the clothing container and things to think about. I really love that chapter. You had a cooking container, um, which mm-hmm. we kind of talked about with the Um, but you said the, this word snack snack activities
1: activities yeah
0: i love that right it's yeah, a fun it's, way you know it's just fine, it's it. finding
1: the movement in your food you know like yeah. it's it's like humans again eating is the most important thing to our survival and we spend a really we've transitioned from a culture that was all about handing down i'll say food knowledge and like we we now call it plant identification and wilderness school that like That was just eating that was just straight up eating it wasn't it's not specialized it's the most sort of general information for a human it's only now becomes sort of specialized so so to really um restore some to to restore the ways that human like what information is more essential that we pass down to our kids and it's like this is the food on the planet that you have and here's here's how to work with it and how to process it. And then it's also, you can go to um, the gardening. Here's how plants grow and what they need. And then you can also go to just cooking. Here's how you take raw ingredients and put them together into something else. Because I think that we've definitely lost food knowledge as a culture, which makes us particularly vulnerable. You know, we are in a pretty vulnerable spot when we don't really hand down how to eat. We, like we've we've replaced dietary nutrition make sure you have enough protein make sure you have fat like we've replaced that from actually how do you source find and prepare food where mm. does it come from who's doing that work you know what i mean like like it's the old, it's the biggest system that we depend on yet most of us don't really know that much about it and certainly not enough to produce enough for ourselves so so that's a great source for movement is my point yes. my point is yes you're going to need to eat. This is not, this is essential knowledge. It's again, it's, it's literacy. It's literacy in, in, in food, in, in, uh, in, I don't even want to use the word nutrition because it's more about calories. It's like, it's simply getting enough to eat. So, um, it's a great spot. Like, as you said, um, Mm -hmm. um, but it also just, it, it just puts you more into touch with this age old, never going away system that we need right. to be aware of.
0: We, um, I saw in your book you had a picture of someone harvesting potatoes, and so we're new to gardening. I, this is our second year, and um, I just feel like I've been missing out on my whole life. <laughs> you know, it's just it's so fascinating, it provides so much joy and, and it's yeah. just intertextures, all sorts of things. But potatoes are just beyond easy. Like you have old potatoes that you're not going to eat. You literally just drop them in the ground yeah. and they grow. And I didn't know that they have beautiful flowers. It's this beautiful process. So, so last summer we went out with our, um, our daughter was four and we're going to go, you know, try and harvest these potatoes. Somebody told us when to look. And I mean, we were just beyond enthralled. You know, it's like, actually my husband and I, we didn't, we didn't do a ton. So my husband and I were having to stop ourselves from like digging to let the four-year-old do it because sure. it's so exciting. What are you going to find in there? And so it was interesting just to see I love the picture in the book about that. It's like this hide and seek game, you know, for kids mm-hmm. and adults, you know, something that's sort of innately in you that you just like to, to look and um, what's going to be there. And then yeah, you're squatting down and all of those different types of movements. And then I don't know, in your mind, you think it tastes better. I'm, I'm not sure if it does or not. But it seems to so it's just magical. Um, yeah, it's an I... activity. It's a snack to me. Well,
1: I still, you know, there used to be those games that I would play in highlights magazine where you're trying to find the hidden pictures.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: I still can't see artichokes growing an artichoke plant any other way. Every time I see one, I'm like, Oh, like I found one, I spotted one, mm-hmm. you know, because they're just sort of blending in. So I, uh, so many of our games and things that we play now, I think are trying to replace the wonder that came from discovering essentials outside we've replaced it with with play with with things that don't have as as rich of a play they don't have a payoff beyond just the play when you could be getting the play and the discovery and be meeting many more needs at the same time so we're not just sitting inside sort of with with a game book and meanwhile stressing because all we do are play games and we don't know how to do the essentials anymore so i think we are at the point now where like Yes, we need to get back in. We need to reconnect to this. The time is now. It's never. It's never going to get easier. So, yeah. um, this, yeah, is, this is
0: it. um, there's this book called Glow Kids, and it's about screens. And, and in that book, the author mm-hmm. talks about how our brains are wired for novelty, for new True. things. And so, you know, obviously, the the tech companies are taking that hardwired need that we have and capitalizing on that. You know, so all of these things are are novel, the way that video games work and, and an email and all those sort of things. But, you know, then when you go out in the garden, you know, or, or you go to the farm or, or these different places, you know, you're like, oh, look at this apple I found. Look at the shape of this one. I found a huge one. You know, is there a potato under there? And like you said, you're, you're some of the things really blend in, right? So you're, you're having to really search through, you know, is there a pump, where's the pumpkin? And you're looking under the leaves. And um, so that, to me, that that reminds me of the stacking right it's like you're Mm -hmm. hitting that need for novelty and you're you're learning about food and it's all these things are happening at once so so i love i like that comment that that concept of snack activities um let's see what i'd written down here another one of the containers uh well one of the things you said in here was just that nobody is teaching kids about the places movement belongs outside of exercise yeah i thought that was a really powerful statement um can you can you kind of talk to that
1: so a lot of my my grown up work <laughs> which is a funny thing to say um my work for grown ups has a lot to do with reframing like the difference between exercise physical activity and movement and so humans the the concept of exercise has recently emerged you know hmm. um because there used to be so much more movement in life and so as we've slowly gotten rid as this culture has slowly gotten rid of it then we're like We haven't gotten, we've gotten rid of it. We've gotten rid of the movement that occurs in day-to-day life for getting the things that we need, but we haven't physically gotten rid of our need for it. We've just gotten rid of how it happens naturally, how, how we were able to get it in the process of the day. So then we have to create something. It's like, okay, well, I need to take vitamin exercise, vitamins then because my, my movement diet is, is so sparse. I'm going to need to supplement these essential pieces So we're handing that down to our kids, you know, Mm -hmm. where, where movement. So it's in activities, the activity container, I'm trying to really break down the difference between something structured, structured movement and unstructured movement. And so unstructured movement, which is often called play and play might have some other elements, but it's this idea that you're physically dynamic, but it's, there's no rules about like what is actually happening during that period of time. And then often, if you'll watch kids and really grownups like too, that the movement ends up changing over time. There's, it's sort of like child led movement where, where like they're, they get deep into something else and, and then something else emerges and it balances out with something else. And they've got sticks and they're running around and you know now they're all laying on their backs and like balancing their sticks on their legs. Like there's it's just unscripted. So we've replaced that with um you know as as people have been outside less perceive outsides outside as dangerous, their neighborhoods dangerous being without other grown-ups where kids are just facilitating that with other children. You know, like we used to just mm-hmm. play you know you play pickup games of of what we'll say soccer or whatever ball game, but then eventually it just becomes tag and you make your own rules and there's no grownups around at all to something required. You know, there's 12 kids that can be together and you are going to play this game and here are the rules and I'm here with the whistle. Okay. And now you're done, even though you were just sort of getting into it. And now you're going to be done with this movement. We've really transitioned to that latter, very structured activity. Um, And, and I think that, that what we've noticed in this last year is what happened when everyone was really <clears throat> structure activity dependent, you know, when they were not practiced playing in their homes, playing in the yards, playing in that other area. And so, so, so that's an element of what i mean by we're not teaching our kids more than sort of like exercise exercise is when you go in for a structured bout of movement that has a predetermined time a predetermined mode um, and really a reason that you're doing it so you know if you're like you need to be outside moving around okay because like that's what it takes to get you healthy that's going to be more exercise centric than just general well-being you're going to go play this sport for one hour that's more exercise so Kids are not really aware of what I would call the category of movement called labor, which is being human takes a lot of work. That's always been the trade. You're here and you have to do a lot of physical work to be here. You have to build a shelter, maintain a shelter. That's the work that it takes to do your home and your life. You have to be able to find and source food, grow food, tend food, prepare food, you have to be able to source water. You have to be able to physically carry things around. Like that's what it's taken. But as we've gotten rid of all of that, as every single, you know, as as everything has gotten, as, as we've gone for the movement-free versions of everything mm-hmm. in our life, exercise, sports, classes really seems to be, the only place that movement happens so if you're a child born into this and you look around you're like you have no idea that movement occurs outside of this category now adults all over are struggling because we have gotten rid of the movement everywhere so i'm i'm talking about kids but thinking about it on the adult level that i that i already deal with where the problem is emerging on a public health level we have so many diseases of inactivity that are billions of dollars that everyone's trying to solve. How do we get adults who move more? We don't know. I'm like, you have to start with kids who move more. Like at this point, at this point we have to look at what are we teaching children of this culture so that they um, can have a leg up, so to speak, um, when it comes to being able to maintain the activity in adulthood, because it needs to be more than exercise. Exercise, again, is such a narrow task. You could never get enough of it. You know, in a way that you your body really needs, um, and so it's just about bringing in some of those labor joyful labor practices that involve yeah. movement and exploration and fun.
0: It makes me it makes me think of you know as a child we had in our neighborhood just a, a kind of a rundown baseball field. There was like a little park and a and a baseball field, and you know, so you know, you think about how much more you move when four kids show up at the baseball field and want to put up, do a pickup game or there's six kids, you know, as opposed to there's 12 on this team and 12 on that team. Well, how often do you get to bat? And you know, you're only guard, you know, you're only, I don't even, it's not a sports word, but like you're only in this part of the outfield. Right. But when there was four kids, you're constantly running because you've got the whole outfield or, you know, you're constantly batting because, and, and then, you know, then there's all the social, um, You know, kids are having to cooperate and negotiate and all those sort of things intrinsically because they want to keep playing and they want everyone to be happy. And so, you know, with the stacking comes in there too, right, that, that, you know, I think if we look at sports and we're trying to get kids into college and, you know, that maybe seems like one of the only goals, right, or is that they become really proficient. But, you know, when we do it in this more simplistic way, there's all these other things that are happening, right? They're moving more and they're, and they're happy and they're negotiating and they're, they're working on all these different things, so I like that. You know, it's getting movement so that kids know that movement is needed all the time. You know, in, in yeah. a bunch of different capacities. So, um, I, I saw a, this little section about different games that caught my eye. Different nature games because I didn't know hoop and spear, capture the flag, which I've played. Jays and Junk, Jays and Junko, hungry bear, Drumstock. I there's just a lot in this book. I think. Um, uh, you know, it's really cool. So I just, uh, once again, I'm showing it, it's going to show up backwards, but there's a lot, there's a lot in here, a lot to get out of this book, a lot of specific information. And, um, I came out with an activity book earlier this year and I, and I thought it would really just be read by parents. You know, I'm like, well, this is just going to be parents. And they're going to come up with these ideas and use them with their kids. But the feedback I got is that the kids love the book because yeah. they really like to look at pictures of doing, of people doing real things and so i just really love that about your book and and what you say in here is that then kids will see things and this will spark some ideas like i'm gonna go grab a shovel you know and then that's gonna be good work and um you know or i'm gonna i'm gonna bend down i really i really love i love it you know like oh i can hold a chicken oh it's so cute you know there's the potato one and i loved the one of there's two people hanging in the home and they're hanging on the bars and so I think, or this, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. There's 200 photos in here. So this is a great book for parents, but I—it it is also a great p- book for kids to peruse through. And I think they become inspired. That's a way that they learn that movement happens all the time or can happen in all sorts yeah. of different capacities. So, um, so Katie, if people are looking for more information about you, um, about your book, about your 10 books, uh, where, where are some good places for them to go to find you?
1: Nutritious Movement. So that's nutritiousmovement.com, and then um, on social media, I do Instagram is probably my my most regular place where I just and it's just me, and I just try to share things from my life. Like this is me doing the things that I talk about in these books. But another example, like what does this example look like? What's the application of a of a principle? So that's just uh, at Nutritious Movement for everything.
0: Okay, yeah, that's great. And your books are all on Amazon. I saw um it just i typed in your name and, and they all popped up they all look super interesting uh let's end with this can you can you tell us a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours
1: oh a favorite out okay my favorite outdoor childhood memory is when i'm 45 and when i was in fourth grade so i would have been nine haley's comet came around and my fourth grade teacher organized a 4 a.m field trip for I'm, I'm gonna cry even talking about it and and my mom volunteered to um drive a group up there and so we went up and we were on mount madonna which is the mountain behind my house and they had the telescope set up and the fourth graders got to look you know the star i mean it was maybe the first time i had been out in the stars that someone had set up a telescope um and we watched it and in, in, in a mountainous area, right? So there was like the beautiful trees and it was just about the novelty of being up so early, um, so special. The fact that my mom, who was a full-time single mom who like never could really do anything like that, but she could go at four. She could never volunteer. Like so, so when you're thinking about things like who gets to come and chaperone and be for the kids. Mm-hmm. I was like, just remember the single working parent out there who yeah. never can say yes, but she could, because uh-huh. she could do it before work. And so so it was that. And then the teacher threw a breakfast afterwards. So we drove back to class. And now we're now it's 6 a.m. And 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 I remember there was like donuts and like another special thing. And I don't know, I probably just fell asleep. I don't remember anything else about the rest of that day, but I remember that experience and so um, just don't forget the celestial nature events and don't forget about dark time the early morning and the after hours is such a magic time that you can get those hours like for me also um, not a single parent but a very like you know like an 80 to 100 hour working parent a lot of the times when my kids were younger that 5 a.m. walk or that 7 to 8 p.m. walk is how we get hours in together because we explore the nighttime and the early morning time. Take breakfast and dinner to go. It's totally worth it. So much, so much more than sitting down around a family table. Yeah. So that's, that's
0: it. So Thank you for asking. Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate you having you on. i um, excited for everyone to hear all these things that you had to say. Thank you Thank so you
1: much. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the interview. Thank
0: you.